Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hi, everyone. This is Jay Kevin McHugh. I am the host of Sheer Clarity. It's a podcast where we talk with top business leaders about how to become leaders by attraction. What do I mean by that? Well, within seconds of meeting one of these leaders, you automatically believe you can trust them. They have no hidden agendas. And for some strange reason, they are intensely committed to helping you succeed. So at Cheer Clarity, we're all about helping leaders acquire what that means and how that works. It's a journey to self-awareness on steroids, and you can learn more at sheerclarity.com. The show today is sponsored by JKM Management. It's my executive coaching firm. I founded it in 1990. We help executives map out their lives and their leadership through coaching. We also help them develop leadership teams which operate with extreme trust and honesty, all based on the principles of sheer clarity. And we are really passionate about developing leaders who lead by attraction. We work with founding entrepreneurs, Fortune 500 executives, and a lot of closely held generational businesses. Well, today my guest is Annie Yoder. So glad to be introduced to her. I have a good friend, Kim Riley, who I'm sure will be on our show someday, mm-hmm. who made the connection for us. She is a principal at Ray Associates. Ray Associates is a very big accounting firm. They're based in Worcester, Ohio. They've got a 300 or more people working there and about 12 offices, and they're highly respected in the field. And Annie is a principal at the firm, and in addition to that, she holds the title Director of Development. And I'm going to let her explain more about that. It sounds like she's wearing a couple of different hats because what I didn't mention is that after you see her name on her resume, there's CPA, CFE, CFF, and these are all certifications in the world of accounting, including such sexy titles as financial forensics. And she's a fraud examiner. I hope she's not going to look at me too much. And in the end, it's just a fascinating thing. And from the moment I met her, I was engaged because she's living in a world of well, sort of analytical minds, you know, compliance and laws and regulation. And then on top of that, it's a professional firm. There's a couple of hundred people working there. And she has a passion about people and their development and their leadership. And so I'll shut up and ask her to sort of do a little self-intro. So tell me what you're doing with your day job and what all that entails. Wonderful, Kevin. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be part of the podcast. And I think often about our first interaction and how powerful it was that this opening that you just said that we immediately connected and there was trust. So I just wanted to share that with you before I even jump into it that your trust graph needs to be posted on people's walls that you shared with me because I refer back to it frequently. So thank you so much for sharing that. But my day job, it is certainly hard to explain. So I am an accountant by trade, CPA by trade, and I do no accounting anymore. I am in the people business. I'm in the people Mm -hmm. development business. And that is where my heart is. I think that my mind of needing security financially took me into accounting, knowing that I could make a career and a good living from that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it was 
I am in my third career at Ray. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But my day job truly entails caring about our people and helping them find their path inside our organization. So there are days where I interact with 20 to 30 people and just helping them. I usually call myself the dot connector because I always say, yeah, the dot connector or the bridge builder, because I may not be good at much, but I can find answers for you. So I know who to talk to for what and to help you find resources. And so that's certainly a skill set that I've developed over my 16 years at the firm. But my day job, it could be dealing with conflict. It could be helping coach people, coach people up, helping them determine that maybe this isn't the right place for them. And we're okay with that. And we want them to be okay finding a home somewhere else and leave this organization a friend. Because we have people that boomerang out of here or boomerang back actually to the organization, which is pretty awesome. So my day job really entails dealing with our people, working with processes and systems and not just the policies, but really looking holistically at what we need to do now to be ready 10 years from now. Because wow. we're on a huge growth trajectory right yeah. now. Yeah, cool. what a cool job. I mean, yeah. in the world of big accounting firms, do you think there are firms that have this orientation where they have a principal of the firm who also came in with, you know, quite a, a serious set of competencies and yeah. then before you know it, those have been set aside in sort of favor or in deference to this human component. Yeah, I definitely think there are because I've actually met a few firms that have folks in similar positions where they were in production and they moved into the people world. I think any organization tends to be either more relational or more tactical. Mm-hmm. And I can certainly say that we cert- we have a focus on the relational. Our strategic plan is people, clients, growth, and firm. People's the number one cornerstone for a reason. We truly do believe, and I certainly believe that if we pour into our people, they are going to service our clients to the extent that we want them to and they need to. And then ultimately our clients are pouring into our communities. So it's this like constant circle that it just keeps feeding itself, which is pretty amazing. Did you feel that when you joined? How many years ago did you say you came on board? 16. 16. So I, started, I started as an intern. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's a good little segue. Let's go back to that intern stuff and help everybody hear a little bit about your trajectory. I mean, how did you end up heading in? I mean, you said accounting seemed like a good profession from the standpoint of financial security. At least I can have a job. (laughs) Now you've migrated to this, but give us a little bit about who you are growing up and how you got there. Yeah, not to start from the very beginning, but let me just share a few points that... I think are important. So both my parents were Amish, horse and buggy, no electricity. I was Amish when I was a baby. And I share that with the audience because I always, I use the words, the butterfly effect, which a lot of people will understand that every decision has an effect and we don't understand the ripple effect it may have. So my mom very early on had a passion for education and she knew that she wanted her children to be able to go beyond eighth grade because my parents both had eighth grade educations, got their GEDs. They wanted more for us, for my sister and I. And ultimately, I was very young. I was only about two when they left the Amish community. We still had contact with our family. A lot of my relatives are still Amish. 
I think it is an extreme important part of my history about who I am and why I am the way I am. Certainly why I have the work ethic. (laughs) I can say that for sure. But that decision, that one decision that my parents made has just the ripple effect has been so tremendous. It is just unbelievable. Mm, Pushing for education and ultimately in my immediate family, I was the first one to go to college. It's just my sister and I. So got my undergrad degree in accounting. I have an MBA and I thought I was going to be in the FBI white collar crime unit. That was like, that's where I thought I was going to end up. And life kind of passed by. And ultimately, I got the opportunity to join our litigation support department inside of Ray and Associates. So I left the Canton, Akron area and moved to Columbus for several years. That's when I got my CFE. So I'm a certified fraud examiner. And I worked on forensic accounting cases, litigation support, partnership disputes, those types of cases, some divorce cases, which I did not enjoy. I will be transparent with that. And ultimately, that part of my career, I believe strongly, again, that that decision has helped me formulate and become the person I am. I'm a better interviewer. I can connect better with people. I tend to be able to read people a little bit better. And I think it's truly because of that skill set that I learned in my second career because I was an auditor in litigation support and then ultimately this job. So you ended up, you know, sort of being trained in a competency level to be with an analytical mindset and an examination mindset. I mean, you you mentioned earlier, I'm a good dot connector. Of course, when I think of fraud examination, isn't that what it is, right? Follow the dots, right? Oh, there's a dot missing here. Well, let's do more research because there must be some dot. And somehow (laughs) that migrated into the dots about people. Yeah, I agree. I strongly believe as leaders in our organizations and leaders in general, every interaction that we have, there is something that each party takes away from it. And it might not even come to fruition right then, but later, I can't tell you how many times I'll have a light bulb go off and go, oh my goodness, that person needs to talk to this person because they are going to find value in having, even if it's just a conversation with each other. So I think there's tremendous value in doing that. So do you quickly pick up when people are having a transactional encounter with you versus a relational one? Because I'm thinking of the listeners and, you know, the whole premise of sheer clarity is it's even getting clearer to me since we started the podcast that if there's one thing that you should start your clarity process on, it's yourself, like deeply understanding your own roots, your own nature, your own psychology, your own beginning. And when you mention the ripple effect from a decision your mother made, I'm assuming there's a part of that that is deeply embedded in the way you roll. And you struck me as a person who's done plenty of work on this awareness. And I'd love for you to comment, you know, on both this idea of reading a transactional relationship versus a real relationship and then connecting a dot to use our phrase a little more specifically back to what you think your mother's imprinted on you. Yeah. So my powerful, it absolutely is. If I wish everyone listening could meet my mother because she is an absolutely amazing woman. Mm. She can make something out of nothing 
And she is so powerful when it comes to building relationships. And it's funny that you talk about that journey of self-awareness and transactional conversations or transactional relationships are very much a turnoff for me. And I know that only through trying to explore myself and what kind of my triggers are. And if someone doesn't want to have a little bit of a a personal contact or personal interaction with me, it feels very cold. And I understand there are times where you just need to be tactical. I respect and understand that as being part of a business. But my mom taught me very early on that everyone has value. Everyone. Everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, an interaction and caring about the person across from you, something good can come from that. And if it's simply that that person just needs to know that someone is looking them in the eye today (laughs) and that they matter today, she probably doesn't even realize it, but that she has instilled that in myself and my sister from a very early age. And I think that's why relationships are so important to me. And I can feel, um, she always has told me that I have the gift of discernment Mm-hmm. When we talk mm-hmm. about the fruits and that gift of discernment has been with me very early. <laughs> so I love this. And, and I'd like to tee off for a minute because I'm doing some conflict resolution in some of the clients I have. And I recently was shared a process component, a series of process components from one of my colleagues. And one of the things that we talked about was seeing the good, the intrinsic good. And no matter how much I want to punch somebody in the face because our transactions aren't going well and I'm not getting what I want. And in fact, I may have gone to a place where I actually don't trust you. I've actually had experiences with executives who's looked each other in the eye and say, I don't trust you. I won't Mm. trust you. Yeah. You're backstabbing, lying, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then they drop that little bomb in the middle of a uh, team building session. And I always look at it as, well, at least we're being honest. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the minimum. But part of the model of beginning to help them get through this is to see if they have this capacity to see. Mm. Anybody has intrinsic good. Like, I haven't met, I'm in 30 years doing this. I haven't met more than maybe one or two people I think were malevolent. Yeah. By nature. Mm Mm-hmm. The rest of them were behaviorally insensitive and unaware and angry and disappointed and filled with wounds and shame. They were just like being like hurting people will hurt people. That's how. Oh my gosh, my mom uses that quote. Is that your mom? I swear. It's true. Hurting. Let's say it for the listeners. I think I've said it before on podcasts because it stuck with me the first time I heard it. Hurting people hurt people. So when they come at you, you have to have something available to see, feel, and sense this hurting people thing or seeing the intrinsic good. So here comes the question. Can that be learned if people were not raised with it? My answer is yes. I think it can be learned. Absolutely. I think there has to be a sliver of an opening that they will be willing to grow. There has to be 
maybe a seed that was planted at some point. But I think that what you focus on, Kevin, with sheer clarity and self-awareness, and if we can find one sliver to plant that seed that I think it absolutely can be learned. I mean, it was well, you know, 10 years ago where I would say I very slowly started my journey. And it was a matter of, you know, different pivot points in my life, things that were happening in my life that said, you know, it's time to do reflection and look at myself. But up until that point, I think we tend to be so focused on, am I going to get promoted? Am I going to find the right person that I want to be with the rest of my life? All of Mm. those things that sometimes we forget to self-reflect. And so that's maybe the long version of saying, yes, I think it absolutely can be learned. So are you also suggesting, if I put together what you're saying, is the sliver or this opportunity for someone to grow, I think that's the term you used, right? Mm-hmm. They have to have at least a desire, like this right. tiny little, even if it's minute, There, that's a voice in your head. There's something. So if you want to grow and you use that as a place to move someone to a place about seeing things, seeing, we ultimately said the bottom line is, can we get people to actually learn how to see the intrinsic good? to operate instead of operating like I'm in competition or transactionally, they have what I want. Will they give me what I want or do I trust them or not? Even if I'm angry with them, even if I don't trust them, even they've done some behavioral stuff that I find distasteful, can I actually arrive in my mind and in my heart at this intrinsically good people? That's your mom said she would view people this way. Right. And no matter where they were, there was something in them. Worth yeah. loving and caring about. And we were asking for the purpose of people who are listening, can that be learned? And your first reaction to the question was, I think so, as long as there's this small sliver that there has to be some part of that person who wants it. I think I'd add to that I don't think that sliver has to be in them from the very beginning. It might be you or I that have that butterfly effect that we have some kind of interaction with that person to open, just crack the door a bit. And we might not even know that we open the door a bit for them to mm. reflect or does that bring a that, little clarity to it? That's definitely great. Absolutely yeah. great. Yeah. I mean, I have at times, you know, been at some engagement and somebody has an aha moment and they, they're very complimentary. And they give me lots of credit. And I tell them, I'd love to take it all. But to be <laughs> honest with you, there's a good chance you've been hearing this quite often. Mm-hmm. I just happen to be here at the moment you heard it. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like when you're out in the world as a leader and you're doing what you're doing and you see somebody stuck in routine behaviors and they don't appear to be getting better, you know, eventually you're writing them up and you're giving them a pip and you're putting them up, right? Right. Even if it doesn't work and you part company, the ripple effect is probably still at work. Yeah, absolutely. It might take them three lost jobs before they go, mm, maybe it's me. I like to say, wherever you go, there you are. There you are. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I also heard one the other day. 
if every bar you go to, you get into a fight, maybe it's not the bar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> said, it very, said very well. <laughs> so you've got this part of you that you've decided. I thought you said you had a moment where you began this reflection in a stronger way, right? Mm-hmm. So I would love for you to see if you can identify maybe what was happening. What, did you feel it as an aha or was it a growing awareness? Because part of what we're doing with the show is having these conversations and people are sharing their stories about how they kind of woke up, right? How they got in touch with themselves and how important that is. And so I'm always curious when mm-hmm. I'm talking to a guest, like, do you remember was it a moment or was it gradual? Yeah. So I think it was twofold. I think part of it was personal and it was almost happening simultaneously at work. I'll give the work example first. My boss, who is actually still my boss, him and I were going back and forth and we've always been able to banter because I'm safe in that relationship and I can tell him how I feel. And he told me I was being emotional mm-hmm. and what a trigger. What a trigger for me. I'm like, I remember where I was and I pounded my fist on the desk and I said, I'm not emotional. I'm passionate. (laughs) Oh my God. Have I heard that passionate excuse for outrageous behavior a thousand times? I'm just passionate. That's why I was a jerk. Yeah, I'm passionate. And then at the same time at home, I was finally, my husband's one of the very few people on earth that will call me out. And he was telling, you know, he's sharing these things with me that forced me to reflect on the fact that I was not communicating what I needed. Mm. And then I would just get passive aggressive. And that was very hard for me to say and verbalize and realize, you know what, you are part of the problem, Annie. Mm. And so simultaneously, I think at work and at home, all of this was coming to fruition and it it made me start to dive into really to reading, Kevin, mostly. Like I read a lot and I read more now than I ever did. I mean, it started a long time ago, but between reading and podcasts, it's helped me self-reflect. I distinctly remember those two trigger points happening very close from a time standpoint. So this is good because here's what I'm taking away. And again, we'll tease this out a little bit more. It sounds like two specific relationships were at a point where the other party decided to say something to Mm. you that hurt you, triggered you, Mm -hmm. pissed you off, whatever. And it's in the aftermath. There's a period of processing. Mm -hmm. And choice. Oh, yeah. And in the processing, you're deciding whether or not to maintain your position that they're idiots, they're stupid. Oh, I would have never thought that. And they're wrong and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. (laughs) Or maybe Mm -hmm. it's me. Mm -hmm. So the point I wanted to make for everybody listening, you know what? There's nothing wrong with a relationship that has the occasional sticky moment where you get punched in the face. Oh, so true. And I mean, that is where we grow. I mean, that is uh, the leaders listening and anyone who is striving to be in a leadership position. What a powerful message that 
we will fall, we will get, people will tell us things we don't want to hear, but what a chance to grow and to reflect and to become a better human, really, not just a leader. So true, but the words did hurt, but man, am I glad I chose to take responsibility on myself. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big part because you do, you first, you need somebody who's not afraid to tell you what they think. That is true. That's and then you need the courage to look, look in the mirror and own it. I had an yeah. interview. It'll be a couple of weeks by the time people hear our interview with a wonderful guest named Lisa Stein. And she actually made a, a very significant point about this, that, you know, getting that feedback that hurts or failing or, you know, she said, I didn't even need anybody to tell me something. There are times when I already knew. I just made a big whopping mistake. Yep. And she learned early on to say, that's on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's on me. That's mine. I own that. That goes with me. Now, there's something else you said that I caught my ear that I wanted to, I think this would be good for listeners as well. If you want to be a great leader, you want to be able to give people feedback. And we use the term constructive feedback in uh, place of negative feedback or criticism. Right. Because that's the polite way of doing it. The yeah. truth is, if you tell anybody, you're, can I give you some constructive feedback? They're going to pucker up. Yep. <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> this is like, so I go, you know what? I have a criticism. May I share? May I, share? I, have, I have to give it to you. But here's what you said about your boss. You said, without blinking, I felt safe. I want to talk about that for a minute. Okay. What do you mean by that? Because that's a very powerful part of being in a relationship and being attractive. Mm -hmm. Because there's something about you that all you're safe to me means you don't have to be on guard. Right. So maybe talk a little bit about that because I think there's a point in here. There's a message like, are you the kind of leader? who is super conscious of the power of having people feel safe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So just to go back to that particular relationship, I learned very early on that I had an advocate in my boss and he taught me that that is part of who I am now too. Mm. But not just advocacy obviously brings trust, but, when I failed, not if, when I failed, he and others, but he especially was there to help pick up the pieces, say, this is not the end of the world. You are going to learn from this and we are going to move on. We would reflect and we'd move on. Hmm. So I think in trying to figure out how to make our organization and our teams and make Ray a better place to be. We are always trying to explore and myself as a leader trying to explore how do we make this safe? Part of that goes back to trust. I feel like it's almost like a that's the virtuous circle. Yeah. Trust and safety, safety and trust. And obviously there's more components to that, but you have to feel like there's not going to be a repercussion that is negative to you or felt to be negative to you when you give that honest feedback or when you fail. 
For instance, if I want to go to a boss and try to give that person feedback because they're doing something that is counter to our values, I don't need salary or a bonus hanging over my head. Well, I can't say anything because what if comp comes into play? So I think uh, not only my boss, but our leaders in this organization try to work very hard on making this place safe. And I like to believe, I shouldn't say I like to believe, I know that I am a trusted person in this organization and their safety because sometimes I feel like I have a sign on my forehead that says, people tell me things. (laughs) but they do that because they feel safe and they know I'm going to use my discernment and my judgment to say, this is going to stay in the vault or we're going to figure out action steps to help you through this. Have you been in an encounter inside the firm where you saw trust at a problematic and broken down and challenged and what actually happened to sort of move it? To move it in the right direction? direction. Yeah, because it, You know, a lot of people I'm sure who are listening to the podcast are wondering, you know, all these things you guys are talking about, I wish I had a boss like that. (laughs) The reality is they don't. Right. Which is why guys like me and thousands of others have careers make helping people break that cycle. Yeah. But is there anything that you can identify that, you know, you sort of like your own way of working through people who have a little broken plank or two on the trust bridge? Yeah. So what we like to do is a lot of times you can narrow it down to two parties. And when I say that there's, you've probably seen it before, our listeners maybe have seen it before where you can almost draw a picture of the people inside the organization or the group you're looking at and where the hard lines from one to the next from a communication standpoint are solid or where they're dotted or where they may be broken. And so we like to start, and I've seen it happen in work where we've started to go, okay, we know there's blockage here. Yep. Let's start with that relationship, but let's do it behind closed doors. This is not something that you air out in front of everybody. So let's sit in a room and have that conversation to say, we are on this ship and trying to drive it the same direction. We have that in common. We know that we have that. So let's start somewhere to try to build, I'll say a nugget of trust, maybe not the right word, but let's build something and let's start from there. So we know that components of trust and then ultimately safety are, one of those is consistency. So let's get to some consistent behavior. Because a lot of times what I've seen is lack of safety or even lack of trust happens because response is inconsistent. I said this at one time and I got this response. I said it three hours later and I got this response. How am I supposed to trust what I'm getting from that individual? So Mm. we talk about consistency and behavior, consistency and response, and then Ultimately, competency. I would tell you in this organization that that branch is usually not where we end up focusing because competency inside an accounting firm is, we certainly have areas where we could brush up, but that's usually not the branch that we're looking at when we talk about trust. Yeah. I'll refer people who are listening who may not be familiar with it. If you go to the website, shareclarity.com, the two words are together as a one word. 
you'll find the early episodes, probably somewhere in the first five episodes, we talked about trust. And in those episodes, I think we've embedded a PDF, which I call the trust chart. I got it from a colleague and I think they got it from another colleague and I think everybody (laughs) got it somewhere way back when, when Stephen Covey's, Mm. I think it's his son, wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. So I want to attribute it properly, but the way that when Annie's talking about branches, the trust tree has two big roots and one is competency and one is character. And Mm -hmm. so she's talking about the focus on competencies is to trusting people's skill sets, ability to get results, their fundamental knowledge of the job, the work and what have you. And the other side is called the character branch. And under that are things like honesty and integrity and authenticity Mm -hmm. and transparency and fairness. And what she's pointing out is even in her firm, it's almost like a given the competencies are expected to be there. And particularly in a profession like this one, it's pretty quick to see if right. competencies are not in place. Mm-hmm. We could teach them. We can right. train them. And they've done an, you know, an audit. They've missed something. Okay, well, I won't miss that again. Right? right? And we learn, we learn, we learn. But this whole other place about teaching, character, honesty, whole other ball of wax. Yeah. And what you're hearing is a principal in a very big accounting firm and it's got a national footprint. It's got a couple hundred professionals. And guess where they're spending their time? <laughs> that character part, the part that matters. Now, have a way like off the chart or out of left field question. <laughs> and I'll keep an eye on our time too. We've, you know, we've got another eight or nine minutes. I saw somewhere that the firm was started in 1938. That is true by Richard Ray in New Philadelphia, Ohio. So, Tell me about today's culture and whether or not you can draw a line back to 1938. A 100% yes. Absolutely. So Richard Ray founded the firm in New Philadelphia. He was actually an engineer by trade, went into the accounting profession around the Great Depression because he wanted to help small local businesses. And still to this day, probably three weeks ago, I was talking to a retired partner in the Medina, Ohio area from a different accounting firm. And he's like, I had lunch with Richard Ray. He was amazing. He would come back after he would retire and drive his boat of a car into the bushes because I've heard these little vignettes from Mm. our folks. And he would grab the young people and he would take them out to two-hour lunches just to talk about the profession and talk about the impact that they were going to have. He was highly involved in the AICPA. He was a writer. We have something called the Rayway. And it was written 20 years ago, but you can look at the railway and you can tie it directly back to who he was. One last thing with, he was quoted as saying, and we share this in our orientations, that we do things now to prepare ourselves five years from now. If you look in the world today at the M&A activity, the merger and acquisition activity that is happening it is unbelievable. We ourselves are merging in firms to Ray, but we want to be around 80 years from now and 80 years after that. And I truly believe that Richard Ray saying we do something now to prepare ourselves is a testament of who we are, especially our partner group, that mm-hmm. we will pour into our people so that we're here. I mean, could we take more money out of the coffers? Of course, but that's not who we are. Do you know what just came up for me when I heard you? 
What? The ripple effect. Ah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for that connection, Kevin. <laughs> That's so true. Listen to what that ripple effect was. <laughs> so here's what I do at the end. I close the show where I grab some what I call moments of sheer clarity from my guest. And you have way too many to list them all. <laughs> but I'm going to spin them and then I'm going to hit you with my tricky question. Okay. One certainly is the ripple effect as we spoke. Just remember as Annie's mentioned that she particularly learned from her mother, a decision you make today or choice, even if it's just the tone of voice you choose to use when you speak to someone or some monumental decision, it's going to ripple. It's going to go out in waves and it's going to have an impact and effect and it's going to move things that you may not even be aware of. So everything you do, everything you say, every decision, whether it's a big one or a small one is always going to ripple. You talked about the butterfly effect, and I think it's in the same category. Yes, absolutely. Ripple, right? So, yep. but when I heard butterfly, I also heard of metamorphosis. I've heard, yep. <laughs> I'm thinking change, right? Mm -hmm. So, while you're creating ripple effects, there's also something happening to you. Yep. That as you choose and as you decide, you're growing out of whatever cocoon you're in into something special. And your mom sounded very special, by the way. <laughs> we hit hurting people hurt people. So we're going to focus on looking at the intrinsic good in people. We can grow that by sort of taking a little self-ownership of who we are and maybe realizing we're not perfect as well. There was a great leadership tip, and anybody who's listening who's a boss of somebody else you should ask this question, does this person feel safe with me? Are they safe to be honest without the repercussions? Are they safe that I'm not going to lose my cool? Are they safe I'm not going to get defensive? Are they safe I care? And if that is not the way you lead, then there's a good chance people are following you out of sheer duty mm -hmm. and fear. And as soon as they get a better job opportunity, they're going to go. And then the last one that I just would throw down to you is, and it sounds like this Ray culture has this, probably much more important to focus on who you are mm. and not what you do. Yep. Like the core of who you are, that's what's going to stand the test of time. Yep. You're in part of a firm that's been around over 80 years and you're still speaking today <laughs> with the same value systems that were spoken of then. And no matter how much change has occurred, you're always looking ahead down the road. But the cultural paradigm of caring about the people has not missed a beat. Absolutely. So there you have it. You ready for your question? I'm a little nervous, but yes, I'm ready. Okay. I like that. I like nervous guests. <laughs> so take today, standing in your position, imagine your life is behind you. And now you're going to turn around and look down the path and you're going to see 23 year old Annie and she's standing there and you get a chance to speak to her today, mm -hmm. knowing what you know, what would you tell her? What advice would you give her? Stop worrying so much. Stop. Just stop worrying so much because the uh, interactions you have, the support you have, the strength that you don't even know you have is going to pull you through. Just stop worrying. 
Mm. You know, I think, I don't know if I said this at the beginning of this podcast, I've said it in the others. We started the interviews after 35 episodes because a wise couple of advisors said, you know, it's great to hear you, McHugh, but you know, after 35 episodes, you're going to run out of stuff to say, so <laughs> you talk to people and man, best advice I ever got because I'm getting so much good stuff. The answer that you just gave is probably more common than I had expected with, you know, a number of interviews under our belt. People are always looking back and going, I wish you weren't so uptight. Name mm-hmm. is saying, not so worried or don't worry what other people think. Oh, yep. So with that perfect end cap, I want to thank you so much for this. This was a great interview. There were so many wonderful things, so many gifts you've given us. So for everyone, I would like to, uh, on your behalf as listeners, I want to thank Annie Yoder of Rain Associates for this wonderful interview for Sheer Clarity. If you would like to listen to this show and other shows and other episodes, go to sheerclarity.com. And next week, we'll be back with another great episode and another great interview. Annie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Kevin.